It's time to be mindful and take a more bee-centric look inside our hives. Welcome to the Natural Beekeeping Corner with our host, Natalie B. Bonjour, family. Welcome back to the Natural Beekeeping Corner, the natural segment of the Hive Jive. I'm your host, Natalie B. And uh, if you have any questions for me, you can always uh, reach me at b-mindful.com. And we can even do little uh, question and answer sessions as we get um, questions from our listeners. So don't hesitate to do that. The uh, Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between commercial beekeepers and uh, backyard beekeepers. And how we don't have to do the, the we don't have to keep bees the same way that commercial beekeepers do when we're in a backyard or small scale situation. We'll also talk about local bees versus imported bees, and we'll um, talk about how to do uh, sustainable splits to leverage the swarming instinct of your colonies um, to rear queens, basically that you can use in your small backyard or small scale operation to um, increase your numbers or requin colonies that need help. And then I might even get on my soapbox for a few minutes uh, about horizontal beekeeping versus vertical beekeeping. So bear with me. So to start, um, a lot of people are aware that two-thirds of our food comes from the crops that are in California and across the countries and that are pollinated by the bees. And that means there a lot a high demand for bees to come to those areas when the season is there for crops to grow for the bees to pollinate those crops. So commercial beekeepers will rear their bees earlier in the season than they wouldn't otherwise be in their area. They will fatten them up. They will um, stack the boxes up on trailers, get them ready to go to, let's say, California for those um, almond groves. And they'll bring hundreds and hundreds, thousands of colonies and uh, scatter them around the, the fields so that the bees can go to work and pollinate the crops. That means that you stack up a lot of animals, that you put them under a high level of stress and high concentrations, and then you bring them all, transport them across the country and scatter them in um, a very concentrated area of the country so that they can go to work. And, and then they're brought back to various areas and given a rest and are used for different purposes at that point. But... Because of those conditions, commercial beekeepers have to do things a little bit differently. First of all, they put their bees in vertical stackable boxes that are standardized and interchangeable and they can uh, move them on those trailers. So they will use those Langstroth, those ubiquitous Langstroth boxes, the square boxes that you see everywhere. And they will usually treat their bees to prevent pests and pathogens for, from taking a hold in, under those high, highly stressful conditions. Um, so they'll prophylactically treat for viral mites, uh, give them antibiotics. It's kind of the conditions in feedlots where you have um, cows or pigs that are 
really in tight quarters and stressed and diseases kind of like sprung in those contexts. So commercial beekeepers don't have that much of a choice and they will treat for those reasons. As a backyard beekeeper, we don't have to do that. We don't have to stack our boxes, stress our bees, transport them and, and put them in tight quarters with a lot of promiscuity. Uh, we can just keep our bees more naturally and scatter them in lower concentrations, not transport them, not stress them too much and uh, make sure they are well fed and reduce the chances of drifting from one colony to the other. So that also means we don't have to use those ubiquitous vertical boxes, the Langstroth hives, and the choices are much wider for us to, to do beekeeping. Uh, because we don't have those constraints. The other thing we don't have to do is requeen every year. We can just wait and see what our colonies are doing and how well they're behaving and just kind of those keep those queens going. Usually they are well laying. If they're well mated, they will lay very well in their, their second and third year. So automatically requeening every year is really super wasteful in the context of backyard beekeeping. And also, it's just is taking a toll stress-wise on the colony. So remember, we don't have to do that as backyard beekeepers. A lot of the literature and the advice out there is by commercial beekeepers and for commercial beekeepers. So keep that in mind when you get any kind of advice, when you watch any kind of video on YouTube or read any kind of books. Uh, a lot of it was targeted towards commercial beekeeping to start with. The other thing you have to remember is that... You want to give your bees the best chance of survival if you don't want to have to resort to more drastic measures to keep them healthy or to prevent disease and pests from taking a greater hold of your colonies. That means, again, we talked about the integrated pest management pyramid last month. Um, one of the key aspects of this is to really use queens that are local to your area because they're going to do invariably better than queens that have been imported from, let's say if you're in Texas and you get queens uh, queens and bees from Georgia, those packages that are cheaper, so you bring them over from Georgia, well, they're not going to be as well adapted to the local cycles of for, uh, weather and forage in your area in Texas, because it's, it's different. The humidity levels are different. The flowering seasons are different. And so they're not going to do as well in another area. And there's studies out there across Europe that, that demonstrates that, um, that it's the case. So always pick local if you have a choice. The other uh, thing that you need to concentrate on when you select bees that you're going to purchase, if you're not going to catch swarms, if you're not going to get, you know, bees you're cutting out from anywhere, if you're resorting to purchasing your bees, the other aspect is to make sure that you get untreated bees because they're going to be more resilient. They're going to be able to thrive without relying on a steady feast of medication. And they're going to be more varroa tolerant and virus resistant naturally because they've been given the opportunity to do so. That's the reason why those bees are, when you buy them, more expensive um, because they're in shorter supply and people are looking for those bees because they know they're going to do better. 
So that's another way to make sure that you're giving your colonies the best chances of survival. If you cannot find or if you've already bought, you know, bees that are from out of state and that have been treated, don't fret. If it's a package, it's actually not that um Uh, bad, you can just requin with local survivor stock. Survivor means that it, it thrives without medication. Those are the only bees that are survivors. And so you can just requin very easily. If you got like a nuke that comes with its own set of comb that might have been tainted by those chemical treatments, your bees will, as they build up more wax comb, will get fresh, you know, uncontaminated comb. And you can also requeen. Just give them a chance to show you what they can do always, but know that if they've been treated and that on top of that they're not from around the area you're in, the chances are that if you don't um, treat them, they're not going to do really well. You really have to get good bees um, to be able to go without treatments and naturally. So that was one aspect of things. The other aspect of things is that a lot of the time commercial beekeepers will feed their bees to fatten them up and get them to brood up early and before the season usually allows for so that they can transport those bees and have them ready for the pollination season and that means they're going to feed them a lot of like pollen protein pollen supplements uh, sugar syrup and really push the queens to lay very early on in the season And they're also going to keep feeding them throughout the season so that they keep rearing a lot of brood and they keep having high populations. What that does is the queens don't get a break. They are constantly laying. And that's also partly why their fertility, longevity is shortened because they get exhausted constantly laying whereas if you allow them to go through brood breaks naturally the way the seasons you know work with the honeybee colonies if you allow them those brood breaks then the queens get a break in laying and they kind of kind of last longer because of it they take a vacation here and there and they'll last longer in the end and then the other thing is that because you have brood in a constant fashion in those colonies you end up with increased problems with pests and pathogens because most of the problems with pests and pathogens happen and center around brood. Uh, Varomites lay their, I mean, will lay their eggs into the brood under the cappings and reproduce under the cappings. And a lot of pests and pathogens um, have their life cycle rely on the brood cycle of the colonies. So by allowing those colonies to keep having brood all year round, that really fosters and promotes problems with pests and pathogens. And there's a purpose to that, but that's a purpose that backyard beekeepers do not have. And as such, they do not have to keep their bees the same way. So concretely speaking, and I'm not saying any of the stuff that the commercial beekeepers are doing is wrong. They have a reason. They have a purpose. It's their livelihood. And that's what they have to do. And that's great. But as far as backyard beekeepers and small scale beekeepers are concerned, we don't have to do it that way because we don't have the same goals and the same constraints. And very often we don't even make a living of those bees. So it behooves us in that case to take care of our bees in a way that's going to be 
more sustainable for our own goals. And that means if we don't have to push them to brood all year round, we don't have to do that. If we don't have to requeen every year, let's not do that. And if we don't have to um, pack them up and transport them across the country and stress them and, and just put them on top of each other, then we don't necessarily have to do the treatments and the the whole pest and pathogen mitigation that we would otherwise have to do under different circumstances. So when we talked about the integrated pest management pyramid last month, there the principle was to stack the deck in your favors and have as many of the um, strategies that are promoting bee health and decreasing stress in colonies be adopted so that you have the best chances of survival for your colonies. And that's really the key here. So we talked about the local uh, queens that are from untreated stock. That's really a big one. And if you start seeing issues with your queens um, where they don't look like they're laying well anymore or there's any kind of problem with pests and pathogens, one simple way to mitigate those issues, well, first one would be to kind of decrease, give them a chance to have less brood. So colonies go through uh, natural swarming if they've got the resources for it every year, at least once, if not twice or more. And that's a natural cycle that helps the colony stay healthy. So if we want, we could potentially let them swarm just the way they do in nature and cavities. And that's how they're going to take care of themselves and their problems. But very often we don't want to do that for a couple of reasons. We don't want to impose those swarms on our neighbors. Uh, Potentially they're going to go find housing in a human-made structure and cause trouble. And, you know, so we want to make sure we don't impose that on our area. But also, if we want, we can leverage that swarming instinct to our advantage to capture those swarm bees for our own purposes to increase our numbers in our apiary and or to sell bees and or to rear queens. There's a whole variety of reasons why we can leverage all that to our benefit and even at the backyard scale level. Which brings me to splitting and in particular two to three splitting. So that's a concept that Les Crowder has come up with. That's a sustainable way to leverage a swarming instinct to increase numbers in your apiary and to rear queens while still making some honey production. Yes, I know. People tell you either you grow bees or you make honey, but that you cannot do both. Well, if you do it sustainably, there's a way to do both. So first, a caveat that works uh, really with natural beekeeping, you always want to work with the bees. And you have to understand how the superorganism functions, what kind of cycles it goes through with the seasons, and what makes them tick, basically. how, Why do they do the things that they do? There's always a reason. And once you understand bee biology, superorganism biology in cycles, and the way they you know, communicate, the way they uh, geolocate, the way they forage, how they store their food, how they swarm, how they mate. If you understand all this, that's really going to help you follow their lead in a way. And 
if you follow their lead, you'll be so much more successful than if you try to impose your own agenda and your own goals and hope that the bees will fold to your will. That never really works out really well. So this is kind of like to say, if you're going to do any kind of splitting, you're much better off waiting for the nectar flow to start so that the resources are there for them to rear queens that are well-fed. Because well-fed queens will go and mate better and they'll have a higher chance of return and they'll make for better queens in the long term. So that's important for that reason. The other thing is that if you see signs of uh, increase and population, you know, skyrocketing, a lot of capped brood, drones being reared, resources coming in, pop, you know, a, a lot of young bees coming in, that's, those are usually the precursor signs to swarming. And if you are aware of those signs, then you can preempt the swarming and leverage it to your own advantage. And, and that's a great way to do natural beekeeping because it's going to be healthy for the bees that are swarming to do so, but you're not going to lose the bees because you're going to be able to leverage that to your own advantage and capture those bees and do the things that you need to do. Um, so you can... Once you see those signs, you can do several things. You can do just a regular split um, from one colony to two, which makes for smaller colonies, knocks them back. Um, and in the long term, that means that you've actually cho chosen a little bit more, increasing your numbers over uh, produ producing honey. But there's another way to do this, and, and it's valid for all types of hives, is uh, what Les does that two to three split is a good example. There's other ways to do this, but this is our way and I'm just going to walk you through it really quickly. So without having images, it's kind of hard, but this is a podcast, so bear with me. A two to three split, Les will take two large colonies that are very healthy at the beginning of the nectar flow when resources are starting to come in strong and those colonies are growing and preparing. You can see the signs of them starting to expand and looking like they might be ready to swarm at some point. So at that point, you go in weekly so you don't miss those swarm cells and you don't, you know, lose those swarms uh, if they swarm on you before you're ready. And when you go in, you look for signs that they might be wanting to swarm. And you can even preempt that by taking a split of four or five frames of each of those large colonies and they set them, them up in a separate area of your apiary or in another bee yard. And you take the queen with it and comb of brood and food, just like, you know, um, you're, you're shaking some of the bees in there as well. The, it's kind of like a natural swarm, except that you're giving them in addition frames of brood and food or comb of brood and food, giving them a better chance of survival. You're still left with a bunch of uh, frames or combs in each of those large colonies. And what you do is you take all of them and you're going to checkerboard each frame. You're going to alternate one frame from the one colony, another one from the second colony and back and forth. And that works really well, by the way, in a horizontal hive where you don't have to play 
musical frames, you, you can have the entire cavity and you can just put like, you know, 30 bars. And if you have each colony doning, uh, giving those um, combs, uh, if they each have 15 or 10 or 15 each, then you can fill up that whole single horizontal hive by alternating bars from each of those colonies. You don't have to worry about the bees fighting because at this point the confusion is enough that they're going to go, oh, well, we're in this together. Now we have to figure this out because we don't, neither of us have queens left. All we have is eggs and food and brood and it's kind of still smells like home but it's kind of different so they'll figure it out and they will not fight and at that point they will have a very strong workforce a lot of resources and the nectar flow is in so they will rear many queen cells that in turn when you come back a week later or 10 days later you can use each of those queen cells you know, either individually by cutting them out or each bar that has one or two queen cells. And you can use those and give those to colonies that you either need to requeen or small splits that you want to grow for apiary increases. And that's really going to be very sustainable because once they've raised those queen cells, they will still be a 30, you know, 20 or 30 bars of um, comb and bees and lots of population and a workforce that's going to be really very uh, dense. So they're going to be able to still collect a lot of resources and still make you a crop of honey, a bumper crop of honey. So what you end up with is you started with, let's say, two colonies of, let's talk about top bars because that's what we do a lot of, but it works also with Langstroth, although it's easier with a long lang because then you can do that checker boarding without having to worry of, you know, vertical uh, and how many frames you have, eight frames, 10 frames. Do you have extra? Do you have some that you, yeah, you need the extra to put in there? So horizontal is really easy from that standpoint. But to go back to the subject, you've got all those frames in there, all those bars. You have two splits. One, each of them have the old queen and four or five combs of brood and food. So they're perfectly functioning colonies. So you already have an APO increase right there. Then you have a third colony that has all those 20 to 30 uh, frames or combs with a bunch of food, <laughs> a bunch of brood and comb and a lot of resources and bees. And they're going to collect and make good production of honey. And then you're going to have a lot of queen cells that you can rear more colonies with or requeen your colonies that need it. So that's really a very sustainable way to rear queens and do splits. And that's what Last calls the two to three split. That's a technique that works really, really well. And that's very sustainable. And that helps follow the cycles, the natural cycles of colonies and um, the way the superorganism reproduces. It makes for very healthy local queens that uh, in turn will go and mate well. And believe it or not, according to Dr. Tarpey in studies, um, the biggest problem for colonies is not pheromites. It's the quality of queens. The, the problems that they have is with queens, queen events. So having queens is paramount to any kind of good beekeeping and especially to natural beekeeping. So 
let me switch gears. I know we were talking about uh, those two to three splits, and um, because we do it with top bars, it's a lot easier to explain with that, or it's the same with a long length. Um, now, let me get on my soapbox for a minute. Uh, and, and everybody, you know, does beekeeping for their own goals, their own reasons, but just know that it doesn't have to be commercial style. Uh, so you don't have to do it the way commercial beekeepers do it. And that also means that you don't have to use those Langstroth vertical boxes. So that brings me to natural uh, to vertical versus horizontal beekeeping. So in vertical beekeeping, and we do it as well, uh, we just do a lot more of the horizontal beekeeping, in particular with top bar hives, and we find it's um, much less stressful for our bees. They're a lot calmer and they seem to be healthier for it because they don't have, we, they're not contending with our man-imposed um, frames and structures and way to supering boxes. So it's, you know, the horizontal beekeeping follows the natural expansion and contraction of the brood's nest, the natural building off of a roof and not having, uh, once you've got a comb hanging from a roof, empty space put above it and them having to contend with those changes in temperatures and, and thermodynamics um, and having to fill up a cavity above their heads, which they wouldn't do in nature, right? Even in vertical uh, cavities, they build from a roof and that roof is not removed with empty space for them to have to fix that. Um, so in horizontal beekeeping, it kind of follows the, the expansion on one horizontal line. And because of that, you don't have to expose the brood's nest. Uh, you can just go from the back of the hive. And it works the same with the long line, by the way. If you're into long straw frames, um, you can go in the back and harvest honey there without the bees really noticing you. You can see the edge of the brood's nests and not have to go through it all. Again, remember, you don't have to look for your queen all the time. You just need to see signs of her and how well she's doing. And so those horizontal tabar hives um, allow you for um, calmer, less stressed out bees. But it's also an advantage to the beekeepers because they don't have to lift any heavy boxes. The maximum you would lift is like a, a frame, I'm mean, sorry, a bar, and it's maximum like seven, eight pounds, where some of the boxes on the Langstroth can reach 80, 90 pounds. You have to lift them up you know, with your back and you have to twist that back and, and it ends up being really heavy. You don't have to contend with horizontal beekeeping with uh, which box goes on top, the frames, um, you don't have to follow, you know, I have to have eight frames in that box. If I've got nine, what do I do with the ninth one? If I've got only seven, what do I do with the seventh? That's a little bit easier. Um if you have deep and mediums, um, the frames don't match the, you know, the size of the boxes. So that makes it more complicated. So I call that playing musical frames. And again, keep in mind that I'm using Langstroth. I just find beekeeping in Tabar hives so much easier that because it also makes so much more sense for the bees, they're a lot calmer and less stressed. I find that it works best for natural beekeeping as well. By the way, we have plans for free on our website, so you can make them yourselves. 
um, very easy to use two inch lumber, which is going to be much better insulated and more replicate the insulation levels that bees look for usually in nature and tree trunks and cavities. And it's going to be, uh, oh, the email, the website address is uh, b-mindful.com slash plans. Feel free to go and, and take a look and, and try it out. So that brings me to the last point for today. It's not so much with natural beekeeping, but it's a way to get into those top bars that I think are better for the bees for natural beekeeping. And I think that John has already talked about it before. So is the conversion that you can make from Langstroth to top bars, especially a lot of people are getting those nukes right now uh, in those uh, easy jester nuke boxes and the corrugated plastic white boxes. And you can just kind of look, we've got some um, adapter, easy adapter. Uh, you just basically pop off the end of the top bar hive and put it underneath the floor, screw it on as a table, then Put your Easy Jester uh, box on there and cut out the f shape of the cavity of the trough of the top bar hive and then push your Langstroth frames close to it and then start putting bars and close back the hive. And you can secure it if you want to. We find that it stays pretty well in place, but if you want, you can tie, tie it to the, to the box. And the bees will use that opening and keep expanding directly on the top bars and expand horizontally uh, without really any kind of trauma into a top bar hive. So, but this being said, so that's my soapbox and we're big on top bar hives. And I had to mention that um, adapter because we think that's a very clever way for people to try their hand at top bar hive, even though they've got Langstroth bees and are just got Langstroth nukes. And uh, you can see some pictures of that, by the way, on our Instagram account at Be Mindful Honey Farms, uh, if you're curious. But um, you can also do horizontal beekeeping with Langstroth if you use the long Langstroth, the coffin hives, if, they, if, they, if you want. So it's basically just a um, Langstroth looking box, except that it's a lot longer sideways and you can put a lot more frames in it up to like 30 or however long you make it and that's going to allow you to get a test of that horizontal beekeeping I was talking about and that's going to lower the stress on the bees and that's going to make it a lot easier for you to go in without disrupting the brood's nest um, and just kind of like taking only what you need instead of having to sacrifice an entire box if you are uh, counting frames. The other thing that it's really useful for is if you've got a Langstroth bee yard, I, I highly recommend anybody who has a Langstroth bee yard to get one of those long Langstroths per bee yard and then use it as a give all, take all. Any Anytime you have an extra frame that you don't know what to do, you can put it in that colony. Uh, anytime you need a frame of eggs to rescue a colony, you can take it from there. It's just kind of a easy way to have a place to put frames that you don't know what to do with and to take some without having to count, you know, or, or pilfer through another colony. So that same principle applies. 
And that two to three split that we were talking about with all those frames in the long box, you can do that with the long length as well. So anyway, this is kind of like my uh, my rambling talk on natural beekeeping and the two to three splits and keeping your bees as backyard beekeepers and not having to do it the same way commercial beekeepers do. A little bit less focused on treatment versus non-treatment, but the low stress and the less complicated ways of this style of beekeeping makes for happier, healthier bees. And it also makes usually for happier, less in pain from their back (laughs) beekeepers as well. So everybody does beekeeping the way they want to. Everybody has goals that are different. And you might have heard things on the um, the Hive Jive or other podcasts and YouTube channels that are not uh, matching what I'm saying necessarily. But that's because it all depends on your goals. And our goals, Les Crowder and I, are to do horizontal beekeeping in top our hives naturally and sustainably and keep our bees healthy without the use of any kind of treatments. And we do that by keeping bees that are local and non-treated. And that works really well. So if you want to try it, just give it a chance. That's it. That's, I think, all I had to say for you guys. If you have questions, don't hesitate to contact us at b-mindful.com. And until next month, you guys be good. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great month. Bye. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening.